I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 213. Well, right out of the gate, I have to say, I am still obsessed with Miss Dutchie, okay? But I've also found another Tumblr girl that I love, and her name is Carissa Explains It All. Get it? Yeah. I was like, wait, how can she do that? But Carissa, not Clarissa. Yeah. Love it. Love her. Love her vibe. Uh, so if you love tumblers like I do, she's in California. So when Miss Dutchie is like, sleeping. yeah, when she's sleeping or, well, Miss Dutchie doesn't sleep. But when she's not live, Carissa is. Also, RIP to June's Journey. It's been like three weeks since I last played. I think I interchanged June's Journey for the tumblers. Color me fucking surprised. <laughs> but I lasted a long time on it's, June's Journey. It's because you have the hyperfixation of ADHD. <laughs> yeah. So you like go from like one obsession to the next. I mean, mm-hmm. I do the same thing. Yeah. Hey, I have not bought anything to make tumblers though. That's a big like pro because normally I'd be like, oh, I could do this. Yeah. Let me do this. No, no, no. Yeah. Her toxic trait is she thinks she can do it and she can't. No. You think you can do these things, Nemo, but you can't. <laughs> and I won't even get the stuff out of the box. I'll be like, no. Again, hyperfixation. So what are you obsessed with this week? Well, my birthday was last week. Oh, yeah. Tell me you're a Leo without telling me you're a Leo. Well, it's because we've already recorded once and I said about your birthday, but it was mm-hmm. on your birthday. Mm-hmm. Mother Hunter. Hey, y'all, it was Carrie's birthday <laughs> this past week. Well, before we get into my birthday, we got somebody else's birthday to tell you about. Mine. No. Felix Gray, they're back and it's their fucking birthday too. Their sixth birthday. Say it again. I, you know what? Five fingers and then one more. Six. <laughs> Yeah, it's their sixth birthday, and you know how we talked about they block out 15 times more blue light? Well, I'm just going to say, in honor of that, they're giving 15% off everything. You know how we said they got prescription, non-prescription, readers, glasses for the kiddos who are doing all the schoolwork at home now because of COVID? 15% off of all of that good, good. And I really can say that the blue light, I didn't really know how much strain that put on your eyes until I started wearing my Felix Grays. And when I don't wear them, I'm like, oh, I kind of have a headache or I'm so tired. Why am I so tired? And it's like, yeah, I didn't wear my Felix Grays. Cool. And that's from somebody that works from home. So she Mm -hmm. is always looking at the computer, doing podcast stuff, doing her new job stuff. And then, you know, me, part of my day is spent in front of the computer, but where it comes in handy for me is before bed when I'm wanting to play my games and stuff, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to stay up because, you know, the blue light thing makes your, like, changes your circadian rhythm thing. Okay. I'm a doctor. Well, I said circadian. I'm pretty sure it's (laughs) circadian. (laughs) Well, you're just a Southern doctor. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. I said it just like your mama would have said Oh my God, 100. But yeah, it causes insomnia. Well, you know, I just looked it up and it is circadian. I was right the first time. Trust your gut. (laughs) Not when it's this full. But you can always trust Felix Gray to block out 15 times that blue light. If you suffer from dry eyes, eye fatigue, headaches, all of that can be symptoms from the blue light strain. So as always with Felix Gray, you can get prescription, non-prescription, just like I said, It comes with free shipping, free returns, free exchanges, all the stuff that we talked about. Go to felixgrayglasses.com slash creep. And then from April 19th to April 24th, 
is when you can get the extra 15% off of everything using the promo code BIRTHDAY15. That's BIRTHDAY15. But did you hear her? Free shipping, free returns, free exchanges. If it's free, it is for me. And you get 15% off everything from April 19th until April 24th. So run, don't walk, put it in your fucking calendar so you'll remember. Oh, true, true, true. Head on over to felixgrayglasses.com. That's F-E-L-I-X-G-R-A-Y glasses.com slash creep. But the promo code for the 15% off is birthday15. And that will start tomorrow. Felixgrayglasses.com slash creep. Promo code birthday15. We didn't do anything. We, what did we Yes, I, you did. What did we eat? I don't even remember what we ate that night. Oh, yeah. We went to dinner and Donna got me cookies that were heavenly. Colby got me a Dairy Queen cake. Uh, Tiffany had to work, so she sent me money to get cheesecake at dinner, but I didn't do it because I knew I had, you know, cookies and Dairy Queen cake waiting on me. And you have more cookies coming Saturday. Yes. Donna got me a um a pedicure. Colby got me some perfume I've been wanting. It's uh, uh, uh not a pedicure. I mean a manicure. Okay. It's a gift card I can do whatever I want to with yeah. it. Yeah. You're not the boss of me. Okay, fine. Y'all went somewhere though. Yeah, but that went like for my birthday. That was just like a my sister was going and invited us. Oh. We went to the Eric Church concert in New Orleans. And I have to say, whew, crowds are scary now. <laughs> yeah, COVID has got us all turned. Look, and not to mention, those seats were like medium-sized pizza-friendly. So we ended up, Colby and I ended up moving to some seats where nobody was sitting. And we like gave each other a courtesy chair. Girl, that's also something that COVID has like got me spoiled on. When you would go somewhere and you'd be like, skip this chair, go somewhere else. And I'm like... like I don't have to worry about some stranger just sitting next to me. And then I'm like, do you take the armrest? Do I take the armrest? I don't want to touch you. I don't want to take up space over here. Well, and I kind of got my feelings hurt a little bit because I was sitting on the, because there was like six of us that went and I was sitting on the end next to a stranger. That's how I normally am positioned. Yeah. Well, and it was next to a guy. And like one time I'm 98% sure his wife said something like, she just keeps moving closer or something like that. And it's like, cause Colby and I had just adjusted and she said something like, she's just moving closer. And I'm like, I'm, I'm literally not like, you know, it's what made me very uncomfortable. And so I was like, can we please move chairs? Gosh, she probably wasn't even talking about you. She definitely was. Okay. Like I say 97% just to give her the buffer, but, uh, she was, she definitely was. But that doesn't even make sense. Cause I, I know how you are. Cause I know, like, if you're sitting by a stranger, you're, like, all up on me to not be by the stranger. Yeah. And same with me. Yes. Because you don't want to be that, like, big person that's, like, taking up their seat. Yes. Well, also, here's the thing. I don't understand why people who aren't extra large pizzas don't think about other people. But, see, like, we think about ourselves and other people. Yes. But for them, like, why didn't she sit next to you? Well, they were already sitting there and... I sat down. So they would have like had to get up and switch. So that would have been weird. Well, she obviously was weird about it anyway. But it was because he was like scooting closer to her, which is why she said something. I mean, I'm not like defending her because I mean, whatever. But well, you were probably scooting closer to Colby. I just wanted to breathe. And then it's hot. There's a lot of people. It's hot. My body does not need to touch anyone else while it's tacky. And she doesn't mean her outfit. <laughs> I mean, she that probably st- will be tacky. <laughs> but yeah, like sticky. No, we had a good time though. Eric Church was on a good show. 
He had a couple of like New Orleans locals, like I kind of celebrities, I guess, that were musicians that like he would bring up and sing with him. One of them sang. One of them played the boop, 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 trombone. Trombone. And man, it was good. Did he have Big Frida? No. Oh, okay. The Trumbull guy was called like Shorty or something. Anyway, it was good, but not as good as Patreoners. Woo woo. Thank you so much, Courtney C. from Wisconsin. Kim R. from Oregon. Caitlin O. from Iowa. Sarah B. from New Mexico. Hannah P. from Australia. Kara L. from Wisconsin. Haley E. from Indiana. And Chris L. from Tennessee. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. There's so much freaking good good ever in the Patreon. Hopefully y'all are loving every minute of it. If you want all that shit and an episode shout out, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Also, just a little side note. If you're in Patreon and you're like, I haven't gotten any new episodes, it's probably some kind of billing issue with Patreon because I don't know. They just love to do that kind of shit. But check your card or whatever and just make sure it's going through because it will not give you new episodes if your billing information's not like going through their system. And remember, it's depending on your tier, an episode a week. So if you're having a hard time figuring out like how to get the episodes and all of that, there is help stuff, one, through Patreon, but two, in the Facebook group for Patreon members, there's like a how-to thing to get the like the RSS feed and all. Yeah, you don't have to listen on Patreon. Exactly. I would say don't. Well, my story this week came from a recommendation from Allison G in the Creepinati Facebook group. Do you remember whenever I did that story on the kid, Jesse? Yeah. Okay, so Allison was looking up that story when she stumbled upon this story and was like, you gotta do it. So this is the story of an 11-year-old serial killer named Mary Bell. Oh my God, I literally just mentioned her. When? When we were doing about the death penalty. Great. Do you know this story? Yeah, I know this story. God dang it, I hate when she knows my fucking story. How stories. do you not know this story? Because I don't know anything. Okay. <laughs> okay, so Mary Bell was born across the pond, May 26th, 1957. Her mom's name was Betty. We hate her. And when she had Mary, she was 16 years old and she was working as a sex worker. It's reported that when she had Mary, she told the doctors to, quote, take that thing away from me. Wow. So it was just instantly Mary didn't stand a chance with her mom. But, you know, part of me just from that situation, though, part of me, it does break my heart. Her mom was only 16 and Again, she was working as a sex worker, so there's no telling. I mean, she could have had some sort of sexual assault. She could have, you know, it could have been one of her clients or whatever. And she's like, I don't want this kid. I'm 16 years old. And she's doing the best she can to make ends meet, work as a sex worker, all the things. And we don't know what kind of life she was living or had lived growing up with. But no excuse. Mary was treated very poorly as a child. She was always known to be very intelligent, but also manipulative and very aggressive. And she had a habit of lying. Mary also had a lot of anger and would demonstrate violence not only to her family, but to her classmates. So when she was in kindergarten, she tried to like choke one of her classmates. She wanted just to squeeze her throat to see what it 
felt like. So she wrapped her hands around her throat and started squeezing. And I'm talking like this kid turned purple. Some believe that her mother, Betty, was suffering from factitious disorder imposed on another, which used to be called Munchausen by proxy. Oh, I didn't know there was a new name. Yeah, I knew it was a new name. I just didn't know what it was until I got the most, you know, I was looking this one up. Well, we all know how that normally turns out. Right. Well, the family says like Betty would say that she didn't care if Mary died of like a drug overdose. So I don't know if she was giving her medicine or if she was just leaving things out for her to get into. But because Mary was air quotes prone to accidents, I think that's why people thought that her mom had the fictitious disorder imposed on another it's FDIA is what it's what the thing is but but she just would have like falls and one time she did get into medication you know stuff like that that it's like okay but is she really this air quotes accident prone or is it something bigger than that after mary was born too her mom would go to glasgow on work to meet clients and such and mary would spend a lot of time either alone or with family members and again she was still really little a lot of things said that her mom would like throw her away and I don't know like I think it's because it would say like her spending time with other family members and it was like she would just just get rid of her pawn her off on anyone so that she could go and do what she wanted to and not have to deal with Mary now one thing I read said that Mary had an older sister that's part of this next little story but everything else said it was Betty's sister and it was an aunt but either way at one point, in a way to get rid of Mary, Betty actually gave her to this woman who had been trying to adopt a child and had been refused adoption. And Betty was like, sure, take her. And Betty's sister swooped in and was like, absolutely not. And like got Mary back. Like Mary was almost gone forever from Betty. And the sister like swooped in to, to keep her from going with this woman who clearly something was up if they're not allowing her to adopt. Well, sometimes, because sometimes those adoption things Yeah, are... but, yes, but we're talking like 1960-something. Yeah. Also, all I can picture is, here, hit Weeza when you're like, yeah, here, take her. Never in the history of cinematic anything have they portrayed <laughs> Donna and my friendship more <laughs> than Weeza and Clary. That's so true. I am 100% Weeza, and she is 100% Clary, and she pokes the motherfucking bear all, all the, the time. time. That scene with them, if you've never watched Still Magnolias, go just go watch the scene right now of Weeza and Clary sitting on that damn the bench. bench. Yes. That's us. Like, so us. <laughs> It's so funny, too, because um, I saw there's this company in Louisiana called Flirty Girl, um, like Flirtily, but Flirty Girl. And they have a shirt from Still Magnolias because Clary says, oh, look, it's almost time for the Easter Bunny. Yeah. And they have an Easter shirt for that. And I'm like, I want it so bad. <laughs> but like, how perfect. We're talking about that, right? When it's Easter. Yeah. Another thing that Betty would do when she wanted to be able to have a long time with her clients or anybody for that matter, and she didn't want to deal with Mary, is she would give her medicine to make her sleep. And a lot of stuff says like drug overdoses, but I mean, I picture like she's just like giving her Benadryl to make her pass yeah. out. One of the probably biggest things that is kind of um, 
not controversial, but it's it's not been proven. But Mary said that this happened. When she was about four or five, her mom started like offering Mary to her clients. Wow. I, I don't know another way to say that. Like yeah. she like, prostituted her out. Like I know we call it sex work, but like I don't, I don't know of another way to say that. Yeah. So please somebody tell me a good way to say that. But how fucking horrible if that's true. But there was a lot of mental and physical abuse happening in this house. It was no secret to Mary that Betty did not want her. And she would make sure that Mary knew it. And to make matters worse of all of this that Mary's grown up with, when she was five years old, her best friend was run over by a bus and Mary witnessed it. Bless it. So there's all this stuff with death and abuse and this loneliness and this, I feel like, anger with Mary. Yeah. You know, and then to be, again, to be exposed to, like, such a horrific death at such a young age, that had to have had something to do with how this story plays out. And then again, I really and truly believe the story about her mom offering her up to her clients because of something that happens later in the story. I'm like, you know what? I think that's probably true. So this whole story really starts taking place on May 11th of 1968. Mary was playing with this young boy he was three years old when he fell from the top of this air raid shelter okay so at the time this is in scottswood england so what was happening is they were tearing down all these old old buildings to like redo the area in like more modern safe um housing so the people who were in these like dilapidated buildings were like waiting for the council to place them in other housing and then their thing would be torn down. If you watched Call the Midwife, like this was totally a thing. This is the only reason why I understand any of this was because that was something that would happen in Call the Midwife. They would be living in these, again, dilapidated buildings that are like crumbling around them and then the council would reassign them somewhere else and then they would get new housing in the area. So there was a lot of like abandoned buildings. And then the as far as the air raid shelter, I'm assuming that has something to do with World War II. I'm not, I mean. Yeah. But anyway, that just kind of gives an idea of what was going on, like all these abandoned buildings and such. So anyway, Mary had been playing with this three-year-old boy when he falls from this building. And everybody thought it was an accident. And I mean, Mary's with him, but this is like this 11-year-old girl, you know, they're like, this is an accident. Well, the next day after that happened, three different mothers came to the police and they were like, look, Mary, you need to look into her because she choked my daughter. And so it was three different little girls that Mary had choked. And what they said was Mary like choked this one girl because she wanted to see how it felt. She like turns purple and then she's like, okay, next on to her little friend that's with her she does it to her and then another girl walks up and she's like okay done with her and now go to her and she was like choking them to the point where they were about to pass out wow so it wasn't just like a i mean choking someone is never playing unless you're right kink playing you know and it's consensual but like no this was like truly to harm them yeah well again she's so young 
that the police interviewed her and like gave her a stern talking to, but no charges or anything was filed because they're like, she's just a kid, you know, is what they're thinking. You know, that gif where the girl is like looking back at you and the house is on fire. Yes. That's Mary Bell for me, like on all of these things. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yep, you're getting away with it. Well, on May 25th of 1969, of course, this is actually the day before she turned 11. So technically she was 10 at that other thing I was talking about. But there was a four-year-old boy named Martin Brown. I Honestly, I don't really know the details of how Mary got him to this abandoned house, but she did. And she strangled him to death. Now, she had gotten her friend Norma Bell. Now, you know, they're both last name Bell, but they're not related. They're just friends. Um, she had gotten Norma, and she was like, come with me to this house. And when they got there, because she wanted to, like, stumble upon the body. Uh-huh. So when they got there, there was actually two boys there that had been playing, and they found the body. So she didn't get that, like, oh, here's this body. Right. Or that hero thing, like, oh, my God, I'm so glad you found this body. Right. Well, the police are like, what the fuck? How did this happen? Like, there's, and there's not a lot of blood at the scene. There was a little saliva on Martin's face, but there was no signs of violence. Well, yeah, because he didn't have a chance. Right. And they found an empty bottle of painkillers on the floor. And so they were like, well, I guess he must have accidentally swallowed these pills. And so they ruled his death an accident. Oh my goodness. But I'm sorry. What four-year-old, one, knows how to swallow pills, and two, pills from 1968, when you know they weren't coated in yummy candy like an Advil? (laughs) Right, and was there a glass anywhere? Like, Right. I mean, and, and the if bo- it's a whole bottle of fucking pills, you're going to need a fucking gallon of fucking water to wash all that down. And it's like, it's, and I don't think like Mary was malicious and staged the pill bottle. Like, I think it was just, it was an abandoned house and there just happened to be an empty bottle of pills right there. So it was just like luck of the fucking draw for Mary with that. But like, I can remember being... I don't know, maybe five or six, and the doctor telling my parents, because they they told me this and we did this, we got red hots, and I would just swallow them, and that's how I learned how to swallow pills. Because you you have to, like, teach a kid to do that. Yes! I didn't swallow pills until Nuprin. If y'all are old enough to remember that, the yellow nasty pill. Well, it wasn't nasty until you had to dissolve it, which my mom did. Uh Uh-huh. I don't even know what that is. And it cured everything, okay? Probably why it's off the market. But um, (laughs) seriously, she had to chop it up, let it sit there and dissolve, and then I'd have to swallow that. It got to the point, I think I was in middle school by the time I finally started swallowing pills. Really? Yeah. Because now she swallows everything. I mean, you know. Look, I might be a late bloomer, but I excel. So, poor Martin's family is grieving this death of their four-year-old that, by all accounts, is an accident. But then, Mary Bell shows up at their house. And she's like, hey, can I see Martin? And the mom's like, oh, you know, I imagine she's like, oh, sweetie, you know, Martin passed away. You know, she, like, gently tries to tell her, like, you know, insert a scene from fucking My Girl. Oh, my God, I literally was thinking that. And Mary's like... 
No, I know. <laughs> I want to see his body in the so coffin. So fucking weird. And the mom is like, do what? Right. And slams the door in her face. Yes. The audacity of that little girl. <laughs> right. So I think from then, Martin's mom was like, this is weird. Like, this is really yeah. weird. Well, then, okay. Her friend Norma Bell, Mary Bell and Norma Bell, they are two peas in a criminal pod. Because Norma's got her shit too. We don't know much about her. But we do know that not long after Martin's death, Mary and Norma started breaking into a nursery school. So they started vandalizing this nursery school. And they were writing notes saying that they killed Martin Brown. Which is why I think that Norma might have actually been there when she killed Martin Versus like a, okay, hey, let's just go, let's just go to this place. Because she was either there or after they went and found him, Mary fessed up. Right. It was one of the two. But either way, Norma knew what was up. Well, the police just assume that these notes confessing to killing Martin is a terrible prank. Because they had ruled his death as an accident. And there had been a lot of break-ins in the area and especially, specifically at this school. So the school decides to install an alarm system. Growing up, I lived across the street from the high school and the elementary school. And you could like hear the school's alarm go off at my house. Like if somebody opened the door on the weekend or, you know, let's just say somebody was there like cleaning or whatever and they set it off, you could hear it at my house. You remember that weird guy that was at that church that like oh my god yes okay so (laughs) next to the high school there's a church and this guy would sit out with his he had like a little rv yeah would park at this church and in the middle of the night would broadcast like via megaphone hymns and sermons and you could be laying in my mom and dad's bedroom with it quiet because it's a highway but if, the, if no cars were going past, because it's like midnight, you could hear this music and this guy's sermon Ugh. through their bedroom windows. So creepy. It was the, cre- I was like, do I hear something? <laughs> the creepiest thing. He finally, like, I think lots of people report it because it's a disturbing the peace. Like, yeah. it's midnight and I can hear your shit blaring no matter what you're playing. You're blaring something outside and it's coming through my house at midnight so he got like a bunch of disturbing the peace things and eventually he stopped but it's like who who are you doing this to people are going by in cars going 65 miles an hour they can't hear you <laughs> what know. are you doing oh, it was creepy creepy so anyway the school installs an alarm system and not long after that they actually catch mary and norma at the school but they weren't vandalizing. They were just hanging out there like too late and, you know, just loitering. Mm-hmm. And so by the time the police got there, you know, they weren't doing anything. They were just hanging out. The They weren't vandalizing anything. And so the police were like, okay, you really shouldn't be hanging out here. And they let him go. So Mary's had a couple of run-ins with police and just, you know, weird shit with people. Like, again, she's like strangling her classmates. So... She doesn't have any friends. She's a loner, other than Norma. She's a loner, and people just don't believe anything she says either. She's known to be like a show-off and a liar, which we kind of talked about earlier when I said she was known to be manipulative and like a, yeah. like a pathological liar, basically. 
So when she started saying to her classmates that she had killed Martin Brown, they don't believe her because they're like, it was an accident. She's just trying to like scare us or us think she's cool or whatever whatever the hell you would fake confess to a crime like to your peers not an inappropriate interrogation at this point mary's like got away with it she's even told people she's vandalized a school told her classmates all the things that she killed this boy and it's still nobody's listen nobody believes her so she's gotten away with murder at this point literally that's wild but she's 11 so I mean, kids say the darndest things, you know? I mean, not murder, but also, yeah, they kind of do confess to stuff like that, you know? They do, but um, yeah, if in her little repertoire that she has, she's had choking her classmates and all of this, like, mm, maybe believe her a little bit. But on the flip side, there wasn't any, like, cause of death for Martin. True. Well, on July 31st, which was two months after Martin's murder, Mary and Norma get a three-year-old boy by the name of Brian Howe kind of off into a secluded area, and they strangle him. But this time, that wasn't all that was done. Oh, gosh. They had scissors with them, and they mutilated the body. Bless it. They scratched with the scissors all over his thighs. Originally, Norma had written an N on his chest with the scissors. And then Mary came behind her and made the N an M. Oh my gosh. Always a one-upper. But that wasn't all. They butchered his penis. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. And that's the part that makes me wonder, was she really abused by her mom's client, her mom too, but her mom's clients. Was yeah. there some sexual abuse in her past? Because, I mean, what 11-year-old kills people, but also, like, that's very specific Yeah, for an 11-year-old. After they killed Brian and fucking mutilated him, Mary and Norma found Brian's sister who was out looking for him. And those two fucking offered to help find him. As people usually do. Yes. Ugh, that is the worst. So while they're out looking, Mary, like, points to this pile, I guess, of concrete blocks and is like, did you look there? And Brian's sister is like, no, he's not going to be in there because she thinks he's, like, lost or yeah. out playing or whatever. And she's like, he's not going to be in there and moves on. Well, turns out that is where his body was. Uh-huh. You know what? Mary and BTK are the same people. Well, because she's 11, but she also needs the attention. Yes, but it's like, you are putting them in the wrong things. Like when he put the fucking note in the cereal box right. in the trash. No one is going to be like, you know, yeah. it might be there. Like, And also, you can't just be like, huh, I wonder if he's in there. Just say like, I think I saw his leg right. or something. Like, oh, God. But also, though... Mary's attention-seeking in any way possible because negative attention is all she's gotten mm -hmm. in her entire life. So that's all she knows. So any attention for her is a good thing. Right. So she's doing everything she can to garner any level of attention because she doesn't know any better. Right. Now, should she know not to kill people? Yes. Yes, she knows that's wrong. But eventually, Brian's body was found and of course, everybody's panicking. The police start interviewing anybody in, in the area that could possibly have had any connection with this. And then they got the coroner's report. And they found that 
when the marks in his chest were made with the letters, his blood had already cooled. So it was like after his death. Well, at least there's that. True. But then they found that in the coroner's report that the force used in his attack, it wasn't very strong. And they were like, no, like this could have been a kid that did this to him. Because again, there was such a lack of force with the cuts. And so that's when police stopped interviewing just adults and started interviewing kids as well classmates, all the things. Well, Mary and Norma, not very good actresses, and they were just showing so much interest in the investigation. So police interviewed them, and they're like, these kids are acting really fucking strange. Norma was, like, excited. Mary's very evasive. And the police are like, Mary, you were seen with Brian on the day of his death. But what she told police was that Yeah, she had seen him, but I didn't do this. She's like, I saw him with an eight-year-old boy, and that eight-year-old boy, I watched him hit him. And she's like, oh, and guess what? That boy, that eight-year-old, he was also carrying a pair of broken scissors. And the police are like, scissors, you say? Because they're like, we didn't release that to the public. The only people that knew anything about the scissors were police and the killer. So how would she have known to say scissors? Then at Brian's funeral, of course, police are there, you know, seeing what's going on. And they see Mary, as they say, lurking outside of his funeral. And that when she saw the coffin, she laughed and rubbed her hands together. Like a legit evil laugh. Yes. Like, not a good evil laugh. No, yeah. But like, (laughs) yes, perfect. So they bring Mary and Norma in for more questioning, and Norma starts cooperating. But of course, she's minimizing her participation, and she's putting all the blame on Mary. So they bring Mary in, and they're like, well, this is what Norma's saying. And she's like, no, 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 no. I didn't do any of this. Norma did everything. So Norma told police that Mary took her to show her Brian's body. And that Mary told Norma all about how she squeezed Brian's neck and how she really enjoyed it. And now, Norma's been very evasive. She's just telling stuff on Mary. So, they don't really have anything on her, but they end up arresting both of them for Brian's murder. During the trial, the notes that had been written at the nursery school came back to haunt Mary. They had evidence of the notes that were claiming murdering Martin Brown. And Mary did eventually admit that she wrote those notes. And then some kids came forward and said that they had heard Mary screaming, I'm a murderer and that's where I killed next to like this house that she was like telling people and that she was quoted saying, I hurt little things that can't fight back. And it's like, It makes so much sense that that's how she felt because she had been literally, physically, mentally, emotionally, all the things abused her whole life and never had an outlet for her anger. And she took it out on these little boys that could not fight against her. Three and four years old. Yeah, that's so freaking sad. So during the trial, the courts called for psychological testing on the girls. And they found that Mary's mind was not sound and that it showed symptoms of psychopathy. On December 17th of 1968, Norma was actually acquitted of the murders. What? Yeah. So basically, they said 
Norma was just a pawn in Mary's game and that she just was going along because she was scared and all the things. And I know nothing about Norma after that, but I, I would almost bet everything in my bank account that ain't that much that she went on to a life of crime. Yeah. I don't know if she murdered people, but like she was some sort of mastermind. So, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. she, she went on to lead a life of crime. Like there's no way that you participate or at the very least are at the back end and the cover up of a fucking murder at 11 years old. Right. And it, that's just it. Right. And like she paid no price. So there's no like rehabilitation, learning her lesson because she's literally getting away with murder. She was acquitted. Yeah, and like a heinous murder. Yes. So basically they're saying Mary brainwashed her and got her all involved. Well, Mary was convicted of the murders, but they did say that she had like diminished responsibility. So the judge sentenced her because he said that she is very grave risk to other children. And he sentenced her to be imprisoned at Her Majesty's pleasure. And so that means that there is no timeline set on her sentence. So she could get out in a year. She could get out in 700 years. It's a legal term that is like an indefinite and undetermined length in in prison. Wow. Yeah. In 1977, about nine years after she had been in jail, she actually escaped. She was in Moore Court Open Prison. And she was being transferred from the Young Offender Institution to an adult prison and, like, escaped. But police caught her, like, super, super fast and sent her back to prison. But just three years later, in 1980, she was released from prison after serving 12 years. So wild. So freaking wild. When she was released, she was 23. So because her crime was so infamous and people knew her and all of the things and she was only 23, she got like a whole new life, a new Mm -hmm. name, a new life, all the things. And she eventually married and had a daughter in 1984. So four years after she got out of prison for murdering two young boys when she was 11, she's married having a kid, living her best fucking life. Now, they would move quite often to, like, keep her cover and all, but reporters and all would always find her. Probably because she was like, I'm Mary Bell. Oops, sorry. Right. (laughs) Don't tell anyone. Well, in 1998, her daughter's, like, 14 years old at this time, has no idea who her mom is. Like, she doesn't know her mom is Mary fucking Bell. And some reporters found them and went to the house and, like, spill the beans so they like run from the house they say that they leave like in a hurry covering their faces with bed sheets and that's how her daughter found out about her mom's past so mary's like i'm not gonna stand for this because originally the protective order covered her daughter until she was 18 mary appealed and got the order to protect her daughter's identity throughout her entire life. She won that in 2003. So the court gave them both a lifelong anonymity. And then eventually Mary's daughter had a daughter and she was protected in the same identity thing. And they just call her like baby Z, the granddaughter. She was born in 2009. Well, now the British court will guarantee 
lifelong protection to anybody like in situations like that. And it's known as the Mary Bell order. Wow. I didn't know that. So literally Mary Bell, as far as we know, is still alive, has a daughter and a granddaughter and is living her best fucking life out after she killed two children. Yeah. I did know that she got out and I was like, oh my gosh. Like so brutal. Mm -hmm. The second one. I mean, both were murders, but like the second one was like purposeful. Yeah. I mean, at least her jail sentence was longer than the boys are old. I mean, you know, I mean. Yeah, that's true. It's terrible. But like, I don't know what the answer is on this one because, I mean, clearly she's not done any other illegal things. But, you know what I mean? Murder. That we know of. True. But I feel like she hadn't, you know, I, I don't think she has. But it's also like the ones that she did were really, you could see a direct relationship of those murders and what she did and how she handled everything to how she had been being raised. Yeah. You know, so it's like those who hurt, hurt people. Yeah. And so you really can see that in this case, but like she still murdered somebody. And would have murdered more. Yeah. You'll just happen to catch her. Because she literally was like, hey, I killed them. Hey, hey, I killed them. Because she was 11. For some reason, I thought she was a babysitter of them. But she may have been. I didn't see that in the articles that I read. But I could have made that up. I don't know. I don't. I didn't see that anywhere. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I I don't. I don't know what the answer is. It just sucks because you want to be behind rehabilitation and everything, but then it's like the two kids that she murdered. They can't have a life, and that's what their family said. Yeah, and so it's just so hard. It's like, hey, I'm glad she's doing better and probably on medication and. You know, all of these things, but she took two people's chance to have a future away. Yeah, and like she got married and she had kids and a grandchild. And Martin and Brian aren't ever going to get married. They aren't ever going to have kids. They're never going to have grandkids. Their parents are never going to have grandkids from them. You know, yeah. it's like, or not have guinea kids if that's what they wanted. You know, but like they yeah. don't get the, the, the even the option. Right. And so it's like, where's her punishment? 12 years? And like, and just three years before she got out, she tried to escape. Exactly. Like, she's not really rehabilitated. Yeah. Like, she just tried to escape. But even that, you could have argued like, okay, she had been a kid. She had been in like a kid prison and she was going to an adult one. She was scared. But like, at some point, you still have to be responsible for your own decisions. Regardless of fear and loneliness and being abused as a child and all that. There are plenty of people in this world who are abused in the same exact ways that Mary was. And they don't kill people. Right. They help people. Yeah. Or at the very least, they don't go doing evil laughs and be like, hey, can I see his dead body? That's disgusting. I just feel so sorry for his family who just has to know that not only did they lose their son, they have to watch from the sidelines as the person who did it gets to go live their lives. Yes. Protected from any consequences that may follow them because Mm -hmm. they get a new name, a new identity, a new life, a new everything. Yeah. Now, do I think it's fair that their daughter and granddaughter is protected? Absolutely, because 
they didn't choose who their mother was. Exactly. And they shouldn't be tortured and brutalized and all of that from the media and from people in their town just because their mom's a piece of shit. But on the other hand, it's not fair that she gets to live in anonymity and not have to continually face the consequences of her crime. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that story recommendation that apparently Donna already knew. Yes. But you know what story you don't know? What? The time when my grandma was um, living in Algiers right outside of New Orleans. You didn't know that? Nope. (laughs) And um, she was on a date with a sailor and he got really drunk and she wasn't. And they were on the streetcar and they were trying to get off at their next stop. And he wouldn't wake up. And she was like, bye. And left him on the streetcar, passed out (laughs) drunk. And she left him and went home. That's hilarious. Your grandma did not give two shits. No, way before her time. And that right there is what's so great about our next sponsor. And if you guessed it, we're talking about StoryWorth. And I love this so freaking much. I want to do this with my parents like now. And it's perfect for Mother's Day that's coming up. So basically, if you don't know what it is... It's an online service that sends emails to whomever you choose. A mom, a dad, a grandma, any relative, a friend, literally anyone you want. And they get an email a week with these questions that are thought-provoking that they can answer in any way. And it could be stuff like, what's some of the best advice your mother gave you? If you could do it all again, what would you do differently? Just so you can really know the inner workings of their thoughts and their stories. And then after a year, StoryWorth compiles all those answers to all those stories and any photos that they want to include, because you know they can just attach it, any photos that they want to include. And it puts it all in this really beautiful keepsake book that you and everyone can enjoy. I really wish I knew about StoryWorth when my mom was alive. Because, I mean, I've told so many stories about her and everything. But there's still so much that I can't remember or I didn't know. You know, like little stories like you just told about your grandma. You know, like maybe I didn't know that. And I really wish I would have had that. It's just the perfect way to get these little, like you said, these little tidbits from your loved one, especially right here at Mother's Day. You can send it to your mom and you can get some of these amazing stories and pieces of advice and thoughts that you never even knew that you were missing. And then it's all put into this book that you and your kids and your kids' kids can enjoy and you can continue passing down their legacy. Yes. And you know what? It's a gift for everyone because even though like your mom is the one who's answering the questions, she's still getting to like relive that or to think about what she would want to say to you or, you know, she's getting to interact with you in your life at some point. And we all know that like our parents want to be in our lives more. But too, I think it's, I like how you said, like it gives them a chance to like relive and Think about things from their parents and the people in their lives that they have interacted with that may have already passed. And it gives them a chance to relive that. So this is the perfect time to give all the moms in your life this meaningful gift that you and everyone can cherish forever. For a limited time, you'll save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash creep. That's S-T-O-R-Y. 
W-O-R-T-H dot com slash creep to save $10 off your first purchase. This is such a precious gift that, I don't know, I love this. So head on over to storyworth.com slash creep. All right. Well, this week I am telling you a classic haunted house story. We're going to Mitchell, Indiana. In 1894, Dr. George White and his wife, Sarah, they built a home that we're going to talk about today. The home is like 3,700 square feet, three bedrooms, two and a half baths, formal living, dining, has a stone basement, and an attic. Has its own basement or stone basement? Oh, (laughs) sorry. Has a stone basement, like made of stone. So not like a dirt basement. Oh, okay. Are dirt basements things? Yeah, Crate Mom has one. Oh, okay. I think. I'm pretty sure. Insert her being like, no, I don't. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. And also, this is back in the day, so... I think like they had like root cellars and all that stuff, right? Yeah. All right. Well, they sold it pretty quickly and I don't know why they did. I don't think it was anything sinister though. But in 1899, another doctor and his wife bought the house. So enter Dr. John and Jesse Gibbons. They lived in the house for a bit and then decided that they would have Dr. John's practice out of the house as well. So in 1910, he started seeing patients out of two rooms on the first floor. There was this ad he put in like a yearbook. And so it was like a picture of him, his address, which was 714 West Warrant Street. And it said, calls answered day or night. And I was like, I am not about that life. I am not going to be on call 24-7. I can remember being like in high school and thinking I wanted to be a doctor and being like, how does that work? They are literally like on call all the time. Like how do they just go out and have a drink or whatever? Because if they have to get called in, like they can't have been drinking. Like how do they just live their lives? Right. I mean, I still don't know, but I think it has something to do with they, you know, take turns. Yeah. (laughs) Well, when he was the one and only, he was still doing it. And so he ended up having his practice there in that house for a little over 20 years. Now, I don't know if the Gibbons could have biological children, but what they chose to do was adopt. There's one story that says a family was traveling by the Gibbons' home and there was this incident with their carriage. Well, sadly, it resulted in the father dying instantly and then the mother soon after. And so there was this child left without anyone. So the Gibbons took in the girl, and her name was Rachel, and she was 10 years old. Unfortunately, in 1912, it was around Christmas time, and Rachel was in the front parlor peeking at the presents underneath the tree. And she knocked over a candle on the Christmas tree, because that's how they used to decorate. Right. You know, Uh, I I didn't know that they had to explain it to me, but (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But her nightgown caught on (gasps) fire, as well as some of, like, the floor and stuff. And you can actually still see some of the evidence from that fire on the woodwork in the parlor. Sadly, Rachel was burned pretty badly, and she died two days later upstairs in her bedroom from complications of her injuries. Gosh. Now, there's a rumor Uh that said Dr. John actually gave Rachel an overdose of morphine for her pain because he viewed her as damaged goods from the fire. Oh, surely not. Right. Well, 
I'm going to tell you a little bit more about him, too. But, like, they adopted this child. Like, I mean, I know people do really terrible things to kids they adopt. Right. Um, Insert the Hart family. But, like, surely not. I just think it's so sad if he, like, looks at her. And I don't know where she was burned at. But if he's, like, she'll never find a suitable husband. And right. And all of this. And so, you know. And maybe he thought she'll never find a suitable husband and her life is going to be so miserable. So I might need to help her now. Like, I don't know how he, what was in his mind. Well, and look, and I am all for assisted suicide if it's like consensual. Yes. That's the big word here. Well, there was another child they had, a 10 month old infant, Elizabeth, and she died in the master bedroom. And now we don't know her cause of death, but we do know that infant mortality was high. Yeah, absolutely. They had another adopted daughter, Helen, and she did not die young. So I feel like they didn't, you know, it's like, yeah, they had these two deaths, but it wasn't like they adopted these children just to harm them. Right. Well, about two or three weeks later in 1934, Jesse the wife, she passed away in the house due to complications from pneumonia. Sheesh. About three years after his wife died, Dr. John was basically forced into retirement. So Helen, his daughter, she basically wanted people to do like a welfare check, but not like, hey, are you still alive? But like, hey, are you sane or insane? And so it was like this insanity inquest. And what they said was that he was very emotional. At times, he didn't know where he was. He talked very incoherently and could be violent at times. And that's not how he had been. He had always been super nice. You know, he dealt with the public all the time. But there were some rumors that he was a bad doctor. (gasps) So what kind of like bad doctor? And again, these are rumors, all rumors. I have no proof. But they said that he would touch some of his female (gasps) patients inappropriately. What the fuck? Yeah. And then he would do abortions, but they were quite, um, like, gruesome. And he wasn't delicate with the situation. Uh, Nor was it legal back then, right? Uh, Yeah, I don't think so. And I say that to say, if he's doing illegal things, I mean, is he doing other illegal things? Or does he actually just care about women's health? And he's like, nah, this should be legal, you know? Right. But I feel like if he thought that, he would do it more delicately and not just, like... Touche. Not care about the mom's health after the abortion or, like... True, true, true. All the... I don't... Oh, gosh. It just hurts me. I'm picturing, like, Dirty Dancing Me too. Me too. Penny. Oh. And I will tell you, Jerry Orbach, when he he had, like, only his little white t-shirt on when he came... Because, you know, baby woke him up. I was like, okay, Jerry. Okay. Even though his character was highly conservative and all the things. But he wanted them to leave early from the whole... What was her sister's name? I can't even... Lisa. I don't remember. Oh, my... Oh, I mean, I remember. It's Lisa. I was going to say, how do you not remember that? Also, from Dirty Dancing, can I just say the mom on that show... Doesn't age. Does not age. No, like, she doesn't. not at all. She was the same face... On Dirty Dancing as she did on Gilmore Girls. Yes. And then in Buttheads. Yes. I'm like, can you have a TikTok account and teach me about your skincare? Because it's sorcery. Well, enough about the time of our lives. Let's get back to Dr. John 
And he sadly passed away in 1944. And so the house was left to his daughter, Helen, but she was like, nah, I don't want it and sold it right away. Now, other people have owned this house or people who have lived there, and they've all had some issues. It's like it just attracted death. One man who lived in the house in the 1950s, he died upstairs in a bathroom, and his body was not found for three days. Then there was another family who was renting out the second floor of the house, and they had a special needs child named Gary, and they said that he died from falling down the front staircase. Well, after he died, the family, you know, they just couldn't stay there. And so they moved away. But the dad had to go back, do the whole, you know, final sweep, get the last little bit of stuff before they return the keys for good. Well, the dad's name was Virgil. And so he's getting stuff from this closet and he suffered a major heart attack there in the closet. And sadly, it was fatal. God, there is so much death around this house. Right? Yeah, it's just like... Again, tracted the death there. And if you think about how long Dude Yo had his practice out of the house, more than 20 years, there had to be random deaths there too. Because he did like surgeries and things like that at that house. For a little bit, the house was vacant. But soon, life was breathed back into it again when Jarrett Marshall bought the house in the early 2000s. He renovated it into a bed and breakfast. Now, he believes that him doing so is what stirred up the activity. He said that when the sun goes down, the activity in the house goes up. So the house is actually known as the Whispers Estate. And it's got its name from all the disembodied voices that have been heard there. And a lot of times they're whispering or very faint. So yeah, that's the whispering estates. Speaking of which, people have heard a little girl's voice sing Ring Around the Rosy middle of the night. I'm like, no, thank you. No, thank you on that. They believe that little girl to be Rachel. And some people have also heard her say mommy. And they've heard little girl laughter and what sounds like skipping throughout the house. The owner now is Van Renier, I think might be how you say it. Sorry if it's not. He actually runs ghost tours out of it now. Gwen, who's the general manager, she said that she's had several experiences. She's been scratched on the back of the neck in John's room. She's heard her name being called too when no one else was there. Which, um... Oh, no, I don't want a job that I have to, like, have hazard pay on, like, being scratched, you know. Well, I just don't want it, like, it'd be one thing if it was doing it there. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'd be terrified and I'm talking big and bad from my house where there's nothing. But I would just be so scared that that shit was going to follow me home. Yeah. And it's one thing to deal with it at work where, like, you know you work somewhere that's haunted, but, like... Don't follow me home. (laughs) Yeah. Well, around the house, there's different phantom smells like cologne, aftershave, medicine, or like medicinal smells, or, you know, rotting flesh. One couple that would stay in the night when it was a bed and breakfast, they woke up to a dark shadow standing by their bed. And then there was actually two people who left in the middle of the night because the activity was too much for them. And then other people have seen dark figures in doorways. They've felt their bed move. They've heard like knocking on the walls. And of course, the quintessential 
haunting of doors opening and closing by themselves. Another spirit that's said to be in the house is of the infant Elizabeth. They said that in the room that she died, so in the master bedroom, you can smell baby powder and sometimes hear her cries. Now, TBH, this could be Carrie haunting that room. I fucking knew you were about to say, throw some shade about me <laughs> using fucking baby powder. And crying. Yeah, true, 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 true. <laughs> Literally a second ago, uh, Colby and I went from, he scared me, we're laughing, we're joking, to I just started crying for no fucking reason. <laughs> He's like, what's wrong? What did I do? And I was like, nothing. <laughs> Like, uh, crying. You know, you got a lot on your plate. True. Stress is a lot. Well, remember how Elizabeth passed away in the master bedroom, and then so did Jessie, the wife, and she passed away from pneumonia? Well, people who sleep in that room say that they'll wake up coughing or having trouble catching their breath, and some have even reported that they felt like someone or something was sitting on their chest. Shit. Another thing in the master bedroom to look out for is the closet door that will open by itself sometimes. So, like, it'll jiggle the doorknob and then open by itself and sometimes close. And a lot of people do believe that Gary stays in that room. Remember the boy who fell down the stairs? They've felt like unseen hand touch them. And they've also had some toy cars in the closet and they'll see them move by themselves. Or if they push the car towards the closet, sometimes it'll roll back. Rachel's room, there's some beach balls on the bed that will move on their own. But like, not just like, oh, like a little like nudge or anything. Like, no, it's like someone threw them, like someone hit them. And they'll go flying. There's also like lots of dolls on the bed. But there's two dolls that will make sounds and operate without anyone touching them. And like the pillows on the bed, they have like, not a duvet cover, a sham. Oh, I couldn't think of the word. But they have these shams that have like strings on them. And those strings have been tied together before. And I don't know why, but it just like breaks my heart. Because I'm just thinking about like a little girl like learning how to tie her shoes or something. Yeah. And like using that as practice. I don't know. Or because I'm a weird person that I'd be like, my pillows are best friends. Let me pull like tie them together friends forever like I don't know that that was me as a kid also me as an adult well there is a group of women who brought this doll for Rachel because you know like they had heard her story they felt bad for her and so they put it up in her room well nothing happened but they couldn't find it and they were like huh okay well maybe someone moved it whatever well they left came back like three months later to do another tour. And they were like, hey, did y'all ever find that doll that we put there? And they were like, no, we we looked and we could not find that doll. Well, so they kind of were asking Rachel about it. And just like, did you not like the doll? You know, blah, blah, blah. Well, they went upstairs and there was the doll. But it smelled like smoke, but it wasn't hot to the touch. But it looked like it had been slightly burned. (gasps) Yeah. There was this paranormal group called Orange County Paranormal that were there investigating. And Michael Carnes, one of the investigators, along with two other people, witnessed Rachel standing in her doorway in a white dress. And then they put a camera right outside of Jesse's room and they caught the doorknob turning and then the door opening on camera. 
in the parlor. There's lots of little things that happen. People have been physically attacked in that room. People have been scratched, pushed, even bitten. I mean, again, all things great if there's like consent there. Right. There's a mirror in the room that people have saw weird things reflected in, not to be confused with Bella Lugosi, who's not to be confused with uh, Nosferatu. I do know now that he was Dracula. (laughs) Yeah, you, uh... Look, I was close, okay? Carrie had no idea. Can we just focus on that? Yeah, I didn't fucking have a clue. I still don't know what you're saying. I was like one third right. She was zero percent. I got credit for showing my work. Okay. Basically, that's all I got credit for in math, though. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Yeah. Like, I still don't know what words you're saying. Oh, <laughs> there have also been full body apparitions seen in that room. And the chandelier will shake violently. And it'll just be like, no one's walking around upstairs. No wind. Nothing. The piano has played by itself. And speaking of the piano, there are some dolls on the piano and people have said that if you touch them, like they would bring bad luck. And I couldn't find any like stories of, hey, I touched this doll and blah, blah, blah. But that was noted. So I wanted just to bring that up. So if you go there, don't touch the dolls on the piano. TBH, I would not touch dolls anyway, but you know. Well, James Evan, a volunteer at the house, he was out on the front porch looking in. He was with a group that was waiting to go in. So they were waiting on the group that was in to come out. Well, while they're like looking inside, they see this large black shadow forming. And when they made their way to the parlor, they heard footsteps that seemed to be coming from the basement. And then the shadow began to get darker and darker, and it was moving towards them. He said it seemed to like suck all of the ambient noise out of the room. It was just complete and utter like blankness. And then that black mass charged them, and there was this loud whoosh of air, and then it was all over. In the exam room and the waiting rooms, women claim that they have felt someone touch them inappropriately and sometimes whisper in their ear, like trying to be seductive. Mm. You know that would tickle me on my right ear. Just your right. Just my right. I don't know why. Other people have felt nauseous and they get bad migraines. So you do not need to go in that room. And some even get the taste of blood in their mouths. Also, that reminds me of you. You taste blood a lot. It's a lot. More so than anyone I know. I could ask Colby right now, when was the last time you heard Carrie say that it tasted like metallic in her mouth, which is how you say it is with blood? Yeah, but not always. Blood's what? sometimes like coppery. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> I don't need story worth. I'll just tell all your stories. I have them all here. Lifetime of knowledge. You need story worth for me. You need to mind your business. <laughs> Well, there is a candle that was minding its business, and it was thrown across the room. Also, some vintage crutches that they had, you know, kind of staged in that room. They moved with no one being there. There is also an entity that's been picked up on by psychics, and they say it's not human and it's never been human. So you know what that means. And they call it Big Black, and it's in Dr. John's room, but it does move around the house. Another thing people have experienced in the bathroom for the doctor's area is the toilet shaking. And we know Carrie. (laughs) Yeah. 
I will break a toilet seat. You and will uh, break a toilet like seat. the other day, Colby and I were in Tractor Supply. Yes, a sentence I never thought I'd say in my life. <laughs> but look, that's where we get Jax's food and we give him a bath there because they got a washing station. It's my place now. But Colby heard a loud crash and I came out. He said, Did you just break their toilet? And I was like, It, it definitely shifted. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know why this whole story reminds me of you. <sighs> Okay, well, they also did see the bed and couches shake, too. Well, and her and Colby be making the bed and couch shake. Mighty business. There ain't nothing wrong with that. There's a nursery there, and the rocking chair in there has moved by itself. A sconce on the wall has fallen without anyone being around it. And on a tour one time, a nine-year-old girl was scratched in this room. Then there is this other wild time that an aunt and a niece duo, they were at the tour, headed downstairs from this nursery room, and the aunt was basically lifted up and over her niece and like kind of thrown down the stairs where her face almost hit the door. So they weren't like at the top of the stairs. They were kind of like almost at the bottom, but she was like the, she didn't know what happened. She was just off the ground over on the floor then and she's like I never even touched my niece like how did that happen like she couldn't recreate that if she wanted to yeah even the owner had an experience on those stairs he said that he had gotten cocky thinking well like I haven't been pushed on these stairs yet and it was around three in the morning and all of a sudden he felt a cool breeze behind him and then he went flying down the stairs. It resulted in eight stitches above his eyebrow and the doctor was like, you're lucky you didn't crush your eye socket. Shit. And remember Virgil, Gary's dad? Well, in his closet, a girl has felt like she was being choked. A staff member was locked in the closet with, and the lock is on the outside. So like, yeah, it could have been someone playing a joke on them, but if anyone would have been around, they would have heard it. It's an old house. Like it doesn't matter how, like if you're an extra small pizza, extra large pizza, like you're going to make the floor creak. So they didn't hear anything around and they were locked in. People claim that they were pushed in there a lot. And one time someone said that they saw a large horned entity in that closet, but couldn't find a whole lot on that. While a paranormal team was in that closet, they were doing an EVP session and they caught a little girl's voice that said, let's play. And then another set of members like went into the closet, that group left. And that same little girl's voice said, it's me. And you can hear both of these on the Whispers Estates websites under disembodied voices. How you said it's me everybody who listens is like can y'all please quit stop talking about tiktok but have you seen that tiktok of that girl that uh she gained some weight and she shows a picture of her old self and she's like it's me jessica Jessica. i'm in here yeah (laughs) yes then in other rooms there have been a glowing pair of eyes that were seen in the dark Some guests have experienced bad night terrors when they slept in a certain room, and it was actually the red room in the attic, and they've also been bitten in that room too. There's this entity that they have on the property, and they say it crawls, and you can just kind of really see it out of the corner of your eye, because it's pretty fast, but it's got really long arms, and so it's like propelled by its arms, but it has kind of a short torso and really short legs. So kind of like a weird salamander. Oh, 
Oh, and another thing that the psychics picked up on were four graves outside the home. They said they believed one was Rachel and one they called a pit grave because that's where Dr. John would throw all of his amputations, internal organs that he removed, and the fetuses. Just like in the yard? Like it would be graves. Like he dug like a pit. Gotcha. And threw all the stuff in. And then would like cover that a little bit, throw some more in, cover that a little bit, and blah, blah, blah. And we've talked about portals before. Well, they believe a portal runs from the front parlor all the way to the attic on the third floor, which is probably why all of those people have terrible night terrors who sleep in that room. A group investigated the house, and I found them on paraholics.com. And this was in 2014. They heard running footsteps. Some of the cameras malfunctioned. And one of their investigators became nauseous while they were in the attic area. They returned in 2015 and they heard some like overhead knocking. They had their batteries drained and they did have like communication via like light this up if your answer is yes kind of conversation. But I thought it was hilarious that on their site, they say that this house has an extremely high EMF level and it's caused by the wiring. And then they follow that up with, quote, in other words, don't get a ghost boner when your K2 flashes like mad. Damn. I was like, oh, my God, I love y'all. I freaking love y'all. Also, it's called paraholics.com. Like, I just I love you. But that is what I have on the Whispers Estates. I love that those people are like, look, this has a high whatever you just said. Mm-hmm. So, like, they aren't just perpetuating, like, oh, it's so haunted. They're like, no, no, no. Like, you're going to get this reading. Yeah. I will say that it's listed, like, among the most haunted in Indiana and, like, in the world and, like, all of that. I mean, obviously, I just read a shit ton of stuff that's happened. And there's so much more Uh, I got some of this from um, a YouTube documentary. It's from like Timeline, I think. I'll have it in the show notes. But it was like an hour long. And it was pretty interesting. So they had, you know, more stuff on that too. I sure hope he wasn't a shit doctor. I know. Well, on that documentary, they said that one of the local residents said that everyone said like, that's where the bad doctor lives. And so when she would be walking to school, she would like cross the street so she didn't walk in front of the house and then cross the street back. Damn. You know, so I don't know if it was, uh, I I don't know, you know, like who knows what it is, but like it was a thing, you know? Yeah. One, if we learned anything from Dr. Death, they're not going to shut down the doctors or the hospitals. Mm hmm. That terrifies me where you can't trust people who you should be able to trust. Mm hmm. Ugh. Well, whether or not that place is haunted, it has definitely seen a lot of fucking trauma. It really has. Like, awful deaths. Like, even the heart attack in the closet, it's still a traumatic, like, sudden death. Yeah. Well, and then think, like, he was just going to get some stuff. Hey, honey, I'll be right back. Yeah. And then, like, hey, your dad's not back yet. Um, Having to go back to the house where your son died to find your husband dead. I don't even know how you mourn that. Oh my gosh. It's crazy how like these older stories are sad, but it's not like if you, if we were talking about a child serial killer that like just happened, it would be this God awful story that we were like, oh my God, you know? I know. Well, 
not that people weren't bad back then because, oh my God, you've had terrible stories that you've covered and it's just like, oh my gosh. But I feel like when you cover more recent stuff, everything, like people are just like more crude and stuff now. I don't know. It wouldn't just be like, well, never mind. Actually, Mary Bell did do some heinous yeah, shit on that second one. But that's the kind of shit that like they do now. And that's just like run of the mill shit. I don't know. I think that people did do stuff like that. But the fact that the population is bigger, just by sheer percentages, it seems like it's so much more. And we know so much more because there could have been some killer in some small town, Nebraska, that people in small town, Mississippi, never heard of because of the media. It didn't exist. Yeah. yeah. So if you didn't get that newspaper, you'd never know. Right. There's no telling how many stories we don't know from back then. Right. Well, thank you so much, Allison, for the recommendation. Y'all tell us what y'all think about this case, too. Like, I know we talked about recently about the death penalty and kids of a certain age, but what do y'all think about her being out and able to live her life? Let us know. And is this house really haunted or does it just have some weird wiring? Mm. Let us know what you think. Thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. Don't forget, you can always support us by subscribing, reviewing, all the things on all the places. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.